We made this. Dexter Morgan, good suburban husband, happy father of three. On paper, anyway. You better be a cop. No, forensics. That was my favorite blood spatter analyst. Who are you? I'm the person who's going to keep you from killing any more women. Give me a creep. You know that, Dexter? Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. What happened changed something inside you. You can do something to channel it. There are people out there who do really bad things, and the police can't catch them all. You're decent and good. I'm not. what you need I really need to kill somebody Scheduled programming, the official TV podcast of the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Baz Greenland, and Scheduled Programming is a show taking a closer glance at new television, examining the good, the bad, and the ugly of the small screen. Actually, in this episode, we're taking a look back at serial killer drama Dexter and the upcoming revival, which will see Michael C. Hall return as the killer with the code Dexter Morgan for the first time since the show ended somewhat unceremoniously in 2013. So, Joining me to look back over Dexter and the, and the eight series and discuss what's come up as well is my fellow We Made This podcaster and editor of Frame Rated, Dan Owen. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Baz? Good, yes. Looking forward to discussing Dexter. I, I'm currently just coming to the end of a full rewatch of the show. I watched it back in the day. Did you do the same? I did not do that. I did not do that. I, I had 96 hours set aside. But unfortunately, <laughs> I, uh, other things overtook that plan. So um, I've had to kind of, you know, I remember a lot about the program anyway. It was one of my favourites back in the day. So um, that, that's, that's good. But uh, I refreshed my memory with some recap videos and I read some different articles and even some of my old reviews I wrote uh, a long time ago. So lots mm-hmm. of different things just to kind of refresh my memory. Uh, but yeah, so it's been a while since I've actually properly sat down and watched Dexter, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that re-watches things anyway. So, uh, you know, I, I watch things yeah. once and then I'm onto something else that's new. Um, so it was interesting to do the <laughs> recaps really and to, to watch all of those because um, there's lots there that I'd forgotten. Um, lots of the uh, subplots and uh, even some of the actors that came into the series towards the end, I'd forgotten that uh, Ray mm. Stevenson was in season seven and stuff. So it was interesting to look back. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So like me, you watched Dexter when it first broadcast back in the day, starting in 2008. Was it 2008, was it? Oh, 
it's 2006. Yeah, because I remember watching yeah. it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it, it took. I think it took a few years to reach the UK because I think it went to ITV, didn't it? Late night, uh, from what I remember. Um, so there was a lot of naughty people like me who were downloading it illegally, <laughs> fortunately. So <laughs> don't spread this podcast around too much. Um, the police will come after me. No. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I kind of got wind of, of the show somehow online and it sounded interesting. So I, I kind of sneakily downloaded it. There was no other way to, to watch it in 2006. So I, I got quite a head start on, on Dexter. You know, it's one of those programs that I was talking about and I remember nobody knew about it. Um, even online, it was only Americans uh, on Twitter and whatever back in those days uh, that were talking about it. So I had like a bit of a, a jump start on it. Um, and then uh, eventually, I think, yeah, probably 2007, 2008 or whenever, when it came to the UK. Um, yeah. And then everyone kind of got on board, didn't they? Yeah, that's probably why I'm thinking of 2008. I'm sure, yeah, it was ITV2 when I used to watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. I say you watched it live, you say two years behind in the UK. So we tend to be on a lot of shows sometimes. And yeah, but I, I watched every every season when it came out in the UK and uh, absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely uh, one of those shows, wasn't it? You know, the golden age of television, I think we're still in that age, aren't we? But it was definitely around the time, wasn't it, where it was, that was peaking, I think. Um, because I, th- I think the golden age of television has technically started 2000, I think they say. Um, but it wasn't until like 2008 or nine when people began to use that term. So Dexter was kind of in that initial batch, I think. So like stuff like 24 and, and Heroes came out in 2006, didn't it, as well? Mm. And uh, there was lots of things that year and around that time. I think Mad Men was still a few years away, though, and Breaking Bad. I think they were 2008. It was in that kind of cluster, wasn't it? That that kind of five years around that period. Um, and this was Dexter, I thought, was one of those kind of shows, one of those prestige uh, US cable network television shows that everyone was watching and binging and uh, yeah so I've got fond memories of, of watching it yeah you're absolutely right and I think yeah it was it was prestige wasn't it I say it was a prestige show it was a prestige show about a serial killer and it was a show about a serial killer that we actually were completely on board with and that was always what was great about it it was uh, <laughs> I think you were almost always on Dexter's side and and I think it, it kind of tapped into that kind of mm-hmm. kind of darker side of your personality where you kind of like, yeah, you can kill that person. He's bad. <laughs> you it's like yeah. you're on Dexter's side. So that was quite it's quite fun to watch. Yeah. I remember the first season. I don't think it was quite like that to begin with, or at least at least for me it wasn't. I was always a bit like, Oh, he's a bit creepy kind of driving around and the voiceover was sometimes quite ominous, wasn't it, how he used to speak. And uh, it was all all these kind of things you kind of got used to. Even by the second season, I think you're kind of used to it now. But I do remember the early yeah. episodes. I was a bit like, "Oh, this is a bit weird." He's you know killing people and you know, making these kill rooms of the uh, plastic wrap everywhere and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And so it definitely had a kind of edgy feel to it. The first season, at least, I was a bit I was a bit in two minds. But then it kind of introduces a, a kind of worse killer than him. So you do kind of. Yeah, like you say, get on his side, and then from then on, I think you kind of yeah, he's like the anti-hero, isn't he? So, so I think uh, after this first season, yeah, yeah, very much an anti-hero. I mean, I remember that the very first kill he does, I think, is a child killer. So you immediately, mm. oh, yeah, he kills a child killer. So you immediately think, oh yeah, well, that's the right side of justice. And I think that was quite clever that you didn't have him kill someone who was like, oh, are they really that bad? You know, this was someone who murdered young boys, I think. It was, you know, because Dexter can get quite dark. And I think mm. it was very dark, but quite shocking moment to kind of open the, open the first episode where they had him essentially hunt down and kill this child killer. And 
who would slip through the net as as what Dexter does. You know, the, these these killers they slip through the net, they get around the law somehow, and then Dexter's there as the kind of right hand of justice, doing what the police can't really. Yeah, it was it was a really it's mm. really interesting a kind of moral interesting moral dilemma there because in one sense, yeah, he's absolutely you know he's a killer. There's no doubt about it. He is a psychopath. He kills people, and he enjoys it. So you know you can never completely be on board with what Dexter does because it, unless you're a psychopath yourself, you're never going to be able to <laughs> understand really where he's coming from because you know, you know we we, do, we don't have the urge to kill people, but he has the urge to kill people, which always has that kind of dark element to it throughout that dark passenger. So you always you were kind of on board with his dispensing of justice to an extent but yeah there's always that there's that limit and you know you, you kind of watched kind of almost curious about where he was going to go because you wouldn't as, as a person you would mm. you, you would never go it would go anywhere near where he goes yeah yeah definitely um the thing with dexter is that like you say he is a killer i think it's quite what's quite clever is that um he's never kind of nasty with it you know yeah. it's kind of quite clinical how he kills people it's kind of it's kind of weird and obviously it's, it's a bad thing to do etc but he's not um taking huge pleasure in it really I mean, he he likes killing people and he has that release literally when he plunges a knife into somebody and it's mm. kind of over then isn't it he's not like he's not like desecrating the corpses or no. you know i think he does chainsaws bodies up doesn't he um and stuff but you don't really ever see that graphically um no. so it's kind of always kept a, a little a little bit sanitized i think this first season from memory was a little bit darker with that from memory i don't know if you've probably seen it more recently than me but i, I remember thinking the first season was a bit nastier a little bit um but then since then it, it kind of just got into a routine didn't it really so dexter's kills they're always a bit um uncomfortable but you kind of got used to them because they're always very familiar setup wasn't it with the same kind yeah. of kill rooms and and the pictures that the victims would see around the place and you kind of got used to it really and it was always the bigger villains of the piece who were doing the really nasty stuff um so it's quite clever that they did that so you could kind of you could kind of uh be be, ha- be happy enough to follow dexter because he wasn't a total psychopath he wasn't like a leather face or anything was he yeah. <laughs> you know he was a, <laughs> he was a bit more of a regular person in a sense yeah, and you liked him. I think what was really great, and it could have been done so cheesily if Michael C. Hall wasn't so good at what he does, that you, you, his voiceovers are great. His kind of inner voice trying to react to what society wants him to do and his, his reactions to other characters are great and sometimes very, very funny as well. And you mm. enjoy watching him and you quite get to quite like Dexter as a person and he's quite fun as well you know despite this dark passenger mm. inside him I think yeah. watching him particularly in those early seasons when he's adjusting to like Rita or Deb the affection or trying to trying to trying to fit in you know he has his routines he brings a dance every day he's a he's the kind of he comes into the Miami Police Department every day with a box of donuts and a smile and everyone loves him, but actually it's all <laughs> completely fake. And it's always great to hear that inner voice mm. in him, particularly in those early seasons when you realise what you see on the outside is completely the opposite of what he's actually feeling. I think that's also a very clever thing that they did, having him like that as a character, because you can identify with him on, on the sense of somebody who's a bit of an outsider. 
Mm. So, you know, hopefully no, not many people watching the program are, are serial killers, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we can all kind of feel, oh, I'm, I'm a bit like that in the office. You know, I try and, um, you know, bring in some cakes or something, you know, just to kind of... Uh, uh, you know grease the wheels of you know, socially and, and stuff and um you might feel like a bit of an outsider in general in life and so there's always a, an aspect to dexter you think i kind of get it not the killing but you know how he is around people he doesn't quite get people he's, he's almost autistic i used to think in mm. the early days yeah he was reminded me of somebody who's maybe a little bit autistic and and uh yeah the voiceover is like his his mind isn't it kind of running through things he, he's like he's a bit like an alien isn't he <laughs> put in thrown into a uh, human society and having to sort of cope and uh so i think uh, that's really clever how they developed that character to be that way so you could you could identify with him you know in that sense yeah absolutely he's the outsider you can relate to you can relate to some of what he's feeling and what he's doing even though you obviously can't relate to the darker stuff i mean hmm. there's an argument really of how much of a true psychopath dexter is in a way because as the show progresses he does generally seem to care about Deb, certainly, his stepsister. He certainly seems to care about Rita to an extent. He he cares about Harrison, his son that he has later on, and Aster and Cody, mm. Rita's children. And, you know, even some of the cares like Angel and stuff, you know, there's a sense that actually he quite, he actually cares more about them than he thinks he he's able to. There, there's certainly capacity there, not necessarily for full-on love, but certainly affection. And in one sense, it makes him a bit more relatable to the audience. It makes him a bit more identifiable. You can kind of get a bit more on board with him. And I think that's probably the right, wise decision. If he was completely fake for eight entire seasons and there was not a single drop of genuine emotion there, I think it'd be quite hard to relate to him as a character. So I think the show steps away from making him the true psychopath, you know, in other than the likes of like the Trinity killer later one, or even the ice truck killer, you know, they make him a little bit more genuine and warmer to, to, to an extent mm. because he's never quite on that full 100% psychopathic, complete lack of emotion. Mm. Yeah. You need that kind of development, don't you? Uh, otherwise yeah. I'm sure Michael C. Hall wouldn't want to play the character. He's just going to remain as a static vigilante for, um, eight seasons and he's have some development there I, I don't know if at one point the plan was to maybe you know the uh, the overall arc would be that he would uh stop killing and, and he'd actually become a fuller normal person but obviously that's not good entertainment is it so he had to always remain yeah. uh, a vigilante to some extent and but they definitely like like you say yeah he, he kind of got warmer towards people and and had uh genuine relationships with people uh, towards the end obviously got hannah mckay haven't you the uh Yes. poisoner that he falls in love with and things and uh so you, you kind of had that development over the course of the whole uh season of series um, yeah which was good and, and... no i, I think you right he does develop and i think that it, it does play with the idea of him trying not to be a killer or trying to generally have a happy family life or have relationships you know it, it's never it never quite wins out you know his dark passenger always wins out at the very end but he does toy with the idea of the show of actually can he put that aside? Can he stop being a killer? And can he just be a genuine human being? I guess the way you describe it. So it's a, it's really interesting. I, I, I guess the argument, and I think what I want to do on this podcast is look a bit more about the seasons and the story arc as they progress over the eight seasons. And I think that's the aim of this podcast really is to, we're looking back at the legacy of Dexter and the eight seasons. And then we'll probably talk at the end about kind of our thoughts on the upcoming revival as well. Yeah. I think, mm. 
we'll get we'll get into the um, the season and whether actually the show went on too long and, and you know there's argument maybe that it should have ended with maybe season two or season four even because actually by having to have this development dexter it maybe watered down the premise a little bit but well we'll, we'll get into that discussion anyway so i guess before we get mm. into that deeper dive then who was your favorite character on dexter <laughs> I had a similar question asked when I was on the Millennium podcast uh, right. oh, some months ago, and a similar similar response to that one really because I think you're a, you're crazy if you don't say Frank Black in that case, yeah. and you're crazy if you don't say Dexter in this one. Mm. <laughs> it has to be Dexter, doesn't it? Really, I don't think anybody would say Dexter's not their favourite character. <laughs> You'd be pretty mad. Um, I mean, I mean, probably easy to say who's your second favourite character. Mm. Yeah, quite possibly, because I think you're right. This is absolutely one show where the lead steals it. You know, generally in shows that, you know, you think that the main characters have to be good. You have to enjoy them. But usually there's always like a secondary character that steals every scene they're in. But I don't think it actually is the case in Dexter. I think Michael C. Hall is so phenomenal in what he does. He does steal the scene. You know, no one ever quite hits his level. In terms mm. of support characters, I think it really has to be Jennifer Carpenter as Deb, foul mouth Deb. And I, I love her as a character. And I love her journey, and she really does go through quite a journey over the eight seasons, and obviously results in tragic consequences at the end. But no, just seeing Deb's journey and her relationship with Dexter, and just her gumption as a detective, and just that every second word is fuck, but it works. Mm. It's not done in a way that's meant to uh, be shock for shock's sake it is generally part of her character i just love watching jennifer Carpenter on screen as dev yeah yeah i think i uh, agree that she's the second best character but to be honest even as much as i like dexter i do think one of the issues it's always had is that the rest of the characters beyond dexter are nowhere near as good as him and that sometimes mm. the show struggled to give them interesting things to do because you just weren't that interested in angel or, you know, Masuka and all these other kind of supporting characters. I mean, Deborah's definitely the best, but, I mean, to be honest, I was a bit mixed on her throughout the series. She, she definitely improved, and, and towards the end, when... Um, we can do spoilers, can't we, in this podcast? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yes. towards the end, <laughs> towards the end, when she uh, is made aware that her, her brother, adopted brother, is a serial killer, that, I mean, that's the only moment to me where it really gave her something really interesting to do. And that's part of the reason I actually quite enjoy season seven. Yeah. 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 Season seven is great. I think for that reason, seeing Deb react to who Dexter is, is, is probably some of Deb's best storylines. So absolutely right. For season seven, as much as I liked her, I think um, she was just basically a character who just had different types of boyfriends <laughs> and stuff. And uh, I don't know, she didn't, she, she would never really do much for me. She was, she was definitely entertaining, but um I just always thought they could have done something a bit better with her and they took a while to get around to giving her some better material and it was right towards the end of the series, which is where a lot of people had dropped off by then or there was other things that they didn't like about season seven and that overtook some of the good stuff that was happening there with, with Deborah as a character. But yeah, I mean, like you say, I think Deborah's second best character, yeah. yeah. I think it's, she's very much driven by one life, life to the next thing and uh, some of those love lives are very interesting fun to watch because they're so twisted but you're absolutely right it's about which love interest does she have next for a lot of it you know but there is some good stuff there I, I like it when she proves herself you know she gets and she goes from vice to homicide and then she does rise up the ranks of detective and then she does really start to prove herself as well and it's always great to see that but uh i guess you could say the same yeah she's doing what angel's doing for example and yeah i mean the, the, the characters are all good 
but you're absolutely right. There's nothing on Dexter's level. The only characters that probably come close, you know, maybe his twisted brother, the ice truck killer from season one, certainly the Trinity killer from season four. I think it's the reason season four is a lot of people's favourite because of the performance there by John Lithgow. The performance by John mm. Lithgow is one of the reasons why season four is so highly regarded. Yeah, and this is like another strange thing with Dexter as a, as a, as a series, really, is that um, the, the main cast uh, are always kind of pushed into the background with the kind of bigger special guest stars they bring in every every year. I mean, you, you always have your kind of uh, your, your big kind of villain uh, who's, some, who's often played by a, a big-name actor like John Lithgow, who's the most famous one in mm. season four. But even, even, you know, sometimes you'd have like three or four other characters who were just introduced for one season, and, and they'd be quite fairly big names and they'd always like push the regulars even further into the background yeah, absolutely. which I always thought was a bit unfair on them you know it was almost you know I don't I don't know if this is true or anything but sometimes you even felt that the people making the show didn't really like those other characters so they always had to bring in <laughs> new ones that they that they did like that would only last for one season yeah you know? absolutely um yeah Frank Carradine as Frank Lundy and Jimmy Smith as Megala and yeah. Yvonne I went out to her surname is it Yvonne Strahovski as Hannah? You know, they're probably more slightly more interesting uh, characters in a way. I'm mean, I find Hannah quite an interesting character. I know people thought less so, but okay. So shall we do a little bit of a deep dive into into each season then, and talk a bit about the, the journey of Dexter as a yeah. show then? So season one is where it all began. It's the only season based on Jeff Lindy's novel Darkly Dreaming Dexter, and we're introduced to Dexter Morgan and his code and the rest of Miami Homicide Police Department as we become enthralled in the hunt for the ice truck killer and the cat and mouse game between Dexter and the season's villain. So what are your thoughts generally about the first season? Is it a good, strong season of Dexter? Yeah, definitely. This is, uh, it's not my favourite season, but it's probably my second or third favourite. Depends how I'm feeling really, but uh, it's definitely in the in the higher level yeah. <laughs> compared to the rest. Yeah, this like you say, this is the only one that's sort of adapting the uh, the novel uh the the first novel that was written um it does do its own thing goes in different directions uh but uh so this is this is for me like the quintessential dexter story really you know this is like the you know the main story for him really i mean you could almost just have this as a one-off season really. yeah i agree uh and just just, just and, and, and and that's it as a, as a mini series you know i think it had it had it been one season it would be an amazing one season wonder i mean you're right it's one of the best and you know i think two and four probably stronger but it's such a great season and such a great journey and a build-up and tension towards the ice truck killer case that yeah had this been one season it would be looked very funny as wasn't that as amazing one season wonder and you know i mean arguably you could say mm. dexter was yeah. drawn out and maybe it should have been only a couple of seasons and uh, i think this is just from beginning mm. to end so well executed for me yeah Especially the the twist. I'm glad we could do spoilers, by the way, <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, the, the, the twist that um, yeah, the Astro Killer was his mm. brother. I mean, maybe it's dead obvious when you rewatch it. I'm not too sure. Maybe I was just being stupid. But at the time, I remember thinking that was quite a came out of nowhere. I was like, oh my god, he's got he's got a brother, and this and yeah, and that was a massive surprise to me. And one of the reasons that I was really hooked mm. by the series was that that uh, development and and it being Deborah's boyfriend as well, and it's all added all this complication. And uh, yeah, I mean, season one for me was like a, you know, a really, obviously a really good good season, and it obviously yeah was successful and and uh, birthed everything else. So um, yeah, I, re- I really enjoy season. No, you one. are. Having rewatched season one, 
when Brother first appears as the Doctor. He, he actually seeded the card in the episodes before. I think they actually do play the card quite quickly. I think he's only introduced halfway through the season. And two episodes later, you revealed who he actually is. But it does come out of nowhere still. It's really, really mm. effectively done. And I mean, arguably, the idea of this brother being in this place with Dexter as a kid when their mother was killed in the most horrific fashion possible. I mean, the, the, the image of young Dexter sat in the blood is just, it's it's traumatic and it's mm. mind-blowing. And it's, you know, it's one of the most iconic images in the show. And when we watched it and... Uh, we found it a little bit uncomfortable. My wife and I watched it because he looks so much like my son, who was one of the, well, one of them when it came out, maybe three when we watched it. He was like, he looks so much like my son. He was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> but um, the, the blonde-haired boy, but it's yeah. such a traumatic scene. You know, when you, when you build up to those scenes, he starts to uncover his past. And then the idea of the brother does come out of nowhere, but it, it really ups the game because you've had this really fun game of cat and mouse between the ice truck killer and Dexter and the ice truck killer leaving those plastic body parts in his freezer and you know and, and they're actually Dexter's actually enjoying the hunt mm. and then seeding the brother is very well done mm. so yeah it's, it's, it's really well executed I think the, 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 the main uh, storyline of, of the season yeah yeah definitely um yeah so it's, it's definitely a favorite of mine have you actually read the, the novel this is based on no I haven't so I haven't either. So it sounds like a really <laughs> tedious conversation we're going to have in a minute. But um, I've always been tempted to read the novels. I never found the time to do it. But I, I do know somebody who has read some of them. And uh, based on what they said, I, I think I'm better off avoiding them because they, they sound absolutely crazy. <laughs> it would be interesting one day to go back to the novels. But it, it does um, do this season differently. I think uh, Laguerta, for instance, is killed by mm. the Astro Killer. I've heard end. that. And there's all these, yeah, there's all these kind of differences. And um there always just sticks in my mind and every time I talk about the early seasons, I always think, I should just go back and uh, read the actual novel this is based on the first season and see exactly how it how it, how, how the differences are and, and things. Um, but yeah, the, the books sound absolutely crazy. If you if you read some of the synopses um, on Wikipedia or something, it sounds like a totally different type of show. And it's quite interesting how they obviously read the first book and thought, oh, this is going to be a TV show and we'll adapt it. And they just obviously got rid of a lot of uh, the, the stranger stuff but i think in the books he's um his dark passenger is actually some kind of demon isn't it that's possessed him or something it's it goes into more of a supernatural <laughs> angle yeah they keep it very grounded i guess it's very very believable dexter as a person and his dark passenger yeah yeah i, I, I definitely think, think it's a good example of adapting what sounds like a fairly crazy book into a into a really good kind of uh award-winning tv show i think the adaptation is uh one thing just to mention uh i think they've done a really good job of taking the the book and, and bringing it to the screen yeah no it's very very well and i think it's a really good solid introduction for the characters you know luna lauren velez as, as la Guerta, i mean she's not someone you actually like as a person she's not a particularly nice person but there's a real kind of energy to her performance. You really believe in her. And, uh, you know, and certainly Jennifer Carpenter as Deb, from the word go, she's this kind of force of nature as well. And I always like David Zayas as Adrian Batista. He's one of those characters which, ultimately, there's nothing really to him. But he is just so intensely likeable that you are invested in, mm. in, in him as a, as a character. And I, I don't think he gets many exciting storylines in the show, but he's just this kind of solid mm. foundation of the Miami Police, Police Department as well. And I, and I really uh, 
enjoy seeing him on on, on the show. And uh, I guess the other thing, which is missing from later seasons as well, is Dokes. And yeah. Dokes is a really great adversary for Dex. He's the only one that, that clues and goes, this guy is a little bit odd. There's something really, really strange about Dexter mm-hmm. and he's all very, very fake. And obviously that plays very much into the second season, but they do a really good foundation here of, of just recognizing, you know, this is a, this is a Miami homicide department. They catch killers and they're completely clueless. And that's part of the fun and the charm of Dexter, but they're completely clueless as to who Dexter is, except for Dokes, who is just like a bull in a china shop. Because there's something wrong. And, uh, Ultimately, that leads to very tragic consequences in season two, but it's great to sort of see that tension from from the word go as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got more to say, but I think I'll leave it for season two with Dokes. But yeah, I yeah. agree. He's a, he's a good character. And as much as I said earlier that um, a lot of the cast, apart from uh, Michael C. Hall, are not my favourites, I, I, I do agree with what you said there, that they're, they're all very likeable. So even though they don't get a lot to do, and I feel sorry for them sometimes, some of the plots they were given, is a bit, they're a bit uh, soapy, isn't it? Lots of relationship drama yeah. and stuff going on between Angel and stuff. And I always felt a bit like, you know, you're just uh, killing time with them a lot of the, a lot of the time. But uh, but I, w- I will agree that every actor that they've chosen there is very likable. So you don't you don't uh, hate watching them or anything like that. It's never that. It's just a, you're just always eager to get back to Dexter, aren't you? That's the, that's the Absolutely, main issue. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's it. So, so you know, they, they are really likable. You know, like, Mizuka is just, he's he's very, very funny. He's very, very cringeworthy. And, you know, the stuff that he comes out with, comes out with is very inappropriate. But you kind of like him, to, even despite that. I think Cassius Lee brings some real charm to that performance, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was he was always a bit of a pervert, wasn't he? That was the running joke. Yes. <laughs> he was always a bit of yeah. a and also uh, James Remar as well as uh, Harry Morgan. Um I think yeah. he's probably got the th- most thankless role on television at the time, just being a, a ghost essentially, <laughs> or you know, a figment yes. of Dexter's imagination as his dad yeah. popping up all the time. And uh yeah, he he was always really good and, and solid in that role and um yeah, but I was I was always um <laughs> I always remember thinking, you know, that, that actor he, he just must uh is it a good role to play on television? I always thought, does he enjoy doing it? Because he doesn't really have anything to do, really, apart from just uh, play a sounding board to, to Dexter. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good way of, of exploring this and giving it more depth to the show so it's not just Dexter in his head. But uh, I did find Harry tiresome, but I don't think it was only James Remar's performance. I think it's the idea of Harry becomes this constant nagging voice in Dexter's head you know and understandably so but it did get the point where it came a little bit tiresome but you could you couldn't develop him as a character you learn more about his past and you learn about like his affairs mm. but you know you couldn't really get any more development because he's already dead when the show starts he also died many years ago didn't he that was the the mm. problem they could never do flashbacks with James Remar very easily because he would uh, he was meant to be like I don't know 25 years younger wouldn't he i think yeah. in, the, in the flashbacks that they did do so it was always awkward for them it would have been easier if, if he had only recently had died and then they could have had james remar just um in some flashbacks more often maybe just to fill in some of the background but uh, they always had to kind of do those very carefully didn't they um and try and um de-age him as best they could yeah absolutely i think they did a decent enough job um the last character probably before we go to season two then is julie bender's rita and i think it's a very different rita in season one to the later seasons because she's very much a broken woman. She's, you know, broken by years of abuse from her ex-husband, Paul. And, uh, you know, mm. she is this 
you're gonna feel sorry for Rita, Rita, obviously, particularly her ultimate fate in season four. But also, you know, she's a woman who was who was who suffered years of abuse by this violent, horrible man, and that she's found companionship with a serial killer, <laughs> but she's completely clueless to it. And 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 Rita's always clueless. That's the kind of the tragic nature of Rita. She's completely clueless. She marries him. She has a baby with him, and she's completely clueless. But I think I know if a fan yeah. tend to find her a little bit of the nagging wife in later seasons, but I suppose Dexter tries to adjust to kind of a normal family life. But it's really interesting in that first season, just seeing her, she had the most growth Rita has in that first season when she's completely broken. She, you know, she flinches at a, at a mere touch. And yet by the end of the season, she's got some of that confidence back in herself. And he's generally opening up to Dexter much to his horror, I guess. Mm, yeah. I, I think, um, I think the thing with Rita is that she's probably the character that was most poorly served by the show in a sense mm. because they do kind of kill her off in season four and I think they could have kept her around a little bit. I know it's it like an easy shock, wasn't it, I think, and I don't know if they ever regretted it in secret, but um, I always think they could have done more of that character. But maybe they just thought, well, we've got Deborah as a character that's interesting to... Um, kind of discovered the truth of Dexter. We don't need two characters like that. But it would have been interesting, I think, to have had Rita discover who Dexter was because that never happened in, in the show. I was feeling it's a bit of a missed opportunity there. Yeah, that would have been really interesting seeing what happened if she'd, she'd discovered who he was. I, I mean, that would have ultimately broken her completely and maybe it's, it's too horrible. Deblis has that strength that gumption her. she she manages to work through it to an extent you know not very well as, as we like, find out but i don't think rita would have survived that and you know maybe it's a mm. blessing that she dies completely ignorant to who dexter is I don't, I don't know i kind of thought it was the right time to write her out because i think in season three and four she gets quite tiresome at times but not because i think it's a a, a bad performance by Julie Benz. I think she's great in the role, but because the nature of Rita as a character is just trying to want him, just I want you home with me, with the family, and just be, be you know, just be with us. And obviously, Dex has off got to do his kills. So there's this conflict between them, and she does become this worrying, almost cliched, nagging wife of a character, but yeah. it's actually very really believable as a character. But so I guess mm. she does become this where do they go with that and I guess one option is for her to find yeah. out and one option was to die or the other option was split up and maybe that might have been the uh, less up, you know more uh, realistic option that yeah. she went no I can't do this anymore yeah. and it's done yeah. but I think actually the way it ends up is brilliantly done and there's the kind of a, a brutally brutally tragic ending to a great fourth season but we'll get to that I think shall, shall we move on to season two then yeah yeah sorry yeah we're jumping, jumping ahead <laughs> So season two, which is my favourite season of the show. Ah, right. Yeah. Dexter's bodies resurface and Miami Metro and the FBI are leading on the hunt for the Bay Howard Butcher. And Dexter and Rita's relationship stumbles as he's seduced by a sponsor, Lila, and Dokes hones in on his suspicions surrounding Dexter. So like I said, it's my favourite season. What do you think of season two? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think season two is, is the best season. You know, it's, it's either this or season four. But um, mm. I think for me, season two is the best one because it's kind of, to be honest, it's, it's what I always thought should should have been the last season. And I think yeah. this is ultimately Dexter's problem is that it blew its load too early, <laughs> if yes. you forgive the phrasing. <laughs> but, you know, because this, this should have been the last season. So I don't know why they, they did this story for the second season. I, I, maybe they had a feeling that they got lucky with the first season and they weren't going to last very long. So they may as well just do this story now while they've got the chance. 
and then they maybe regretted it because they got a third season and they were like oh god we've done the we've done the finale season already so we've got to like and then that gave a problem for the third season but yeah but for that reason because it was like a, an early finale season really then um i, I really enjoyed it because it was exactly what i thought we'd be waiting years to see and mm. in the first episode of the first of the second season you kind of have the discovery don't you of the of the the bags that of all the body parts that dexter's been dumping and it's kind of like oh the bay harbor butcher it's all it's all like a, a thing that's out in the open all of a sudden and, and people are looking for dexter essentially and it's like oh my god i did not expect this to be happening first episode of season two you know no which is very unexpected and that's what the tension that builds for that season it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds as they close in because you know they are decent at the jobs and when you got frank caradine as frank lundy the fbi agent who's a specialist in hunting seal killers and they are closing in on mm. dexter and it's like how the hell is he going to get out of this and mm. in one sense it's great that it comes early on because it completely takes you by surprise and becomes so incredibly tense and so twisted particularly you're, you're weaving in lila as well which is really fascinating as well it becomes so complex and twisted and, and tense as a season that you, you don't know what's going to happen next and every episode takes you by surprise i think the first season is a bit more slow build this one is like bang 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 next thing next thing next thing as his world spins out of control and it's so much fun to watch but I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is probably the issue with Dexter. Dexter did go on for too long. As much as I enjoy Dexter mm. from beginning to end, you know, there are some scenes that are, are, aren't as strong, but there's always good stuff in every season, mainly because of Michael Seahorn's performance. But it does feel like a, a final season of Dexter. The fact that it comes in season mm. two means how can they really top this? I think arguably only the Trinity Killer season is the one that comes cl- that is close enough to topping this season. Hmm. And it, even even more to that point is um, some of the characters in season two were so kind of a, like indelible and, and and clever characters that they kind of just redid them in later seasons. I mean, like uh, yes. Frank Lundy, he's basically Peter Weller's character in season mm-hmm. five. And then you've got Lila, like we mentioned, is basically an early version of Hannah who, who comes in later. And even yeah. I always used to think that season three with Miguel is kind of like a Lila. It's just not his. It's not his. Uh, Miguel wasn't his yeah. girlfriend who knew who knew his secret. He was his friend who knew his secret. But it's kind of repeating that. And Quinn, who's basically dokes. They they, they turn yeah, and they just had to replace. Was good. So yeah, yeah you're right. It, yeah. it's it's all it's all the best stuff. You've got Laguarda kind of mid-play and return to power. You've got Rita and. Dexter, you know, Rita believing he's a drug addict. You know, it's a way because he he almost clues in on what's going on with him because of what happens with Paul that she's immediately starting to discover who he is the person and it's a very clever diversion of actually no he's not a killer he's a drug addict and she believes it wholeheartedly <laughs> yeah. but it, you know it's, it's, it's you know, how he navigates that with Rita who is becoming more confident as a character become more self-aware she can't just be the cover which she, she was before this kind of fake relationship she does become saying more to him but also at the same time he can't then just keep his lives completely separate. So it's really great. Even with mm. Deb, you know, she she works out her daddy issues with Lundy. It's a very twisted relationship. Mm. You know, coming out after getting engaged to and then being almost killed by the, the ice truck killer, she then finds a father figure slash lover in Lundy as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really, mm. really twisted. And, you know, but she, in that second season, goes from strength to strength. You know, she goes more confident as a detective. And uh, every character is growing in that season. And mm-hmm. stuff with Dokes and, and Dexter. Uh, yeah, 
Stokes for me kind of went too early in the show, but at the same time, this was perfectly done. He's mm. honing, his obsessive honing on Dexter becomes his undoing because the, the idea of framing him as the Bay Harbor Butcher is really, really clever. And then that kind mm. of final twist with Lila killing him, it, it is, you know, it just takes you by surprise every episode. It's so, so well done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think we were in agreement. That's uh, yeah. still my favorite. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and obviously the last thing there is uh, Lila as well, who is just an utterly twisted character. And, yeah, become becomes that ally to Dexter of sorts as well. You know, not maybe it's not as much as Miguel next season, but, you know, there's there's, there's really twisted stuff there with uh, Lila as well. So, you know, there's just so much going on in that season. It's, it's a really, really great season and really well executed, I think. I remember watching. I think when the first episode is a little bit slow, but as soon as you get those bodies being discovered, bang, bang, bang to the end. It's just, it's great TV. Mm. Mm. I, I remember watching the last four episodes in a row with my brother who right. hadn't watched them at that point, and it was like, you know, as soon as he watched one episode, he was like, "Well, we're, we're going to watch the next one," and it was like, "All right, we're watching the next one." And then <laughs> before too long, we'd done like four in a row one night, and I was like, "My God, you know." Yeah. But it just showed you. It, it was just, uh, you know, it was just such a bingeable show at that point. Mm. Yeah, definitely. First one's a slow burn. Second one is just a roller coaster, and you know, yeah, both as good as each other. And you know, yeah, it, it's just it's right. It's it's the culmination of Dexter done six seasons before the end of Dexter, which is a it's a problem for the <laughs> yeah. show. But uh, I guess the thing about Lila and being the kind of allies where season three goes in having Jimmy Smits as ADA Miguel Prado, uh, who becomes Dexter's kind of partner in crime. So they become serial killer partners. What did you think of season mm. three? Well, at the time, I didn't like season three. <laughs> but the thing with Dexter is that the subsequent seasons were so much worse <laughs> than season three <laughs> that I've come to kind of think, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad. So it's kind of um, benefited from season five onwards being a lot shakier. But uh, at the mm. time, I remember thinking season three was not that great. But it was at the time where Dexter had really caught on. And people had, had jumped on board because of the first two seasons. So it was like at the almost the peak of popularity in, in season mm. three, or at least a lot more people were coming to it. So I remember thinking that uh, I was a bit, you know, in in the in, you know like um the only dissenting voice almost because everyone else seemed to really enjoy it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's not as good though because M- Miguel Prado is just a, a different version of Lila. They just repeat themselves already. And the Skinner wasn't it was a serial killer that year. And yeah, and that, and that wasn't that interesting to me. The skin, I can't remember anything much about him, to be honest. Or <laughs> so I was just like, no, I didn't, I didn't like it. But, but maybe if I go back to it, I'd probably um, enjoy it a bit more now. Um, but uh, at the time, I, I didn't like it. It's not, it's not one of my favourites. No, maybe you won't though, because I have rewatched season three. I've uh, and I was like, oh, this is boring. And that's what the child with season three, <laughs> the pace. And I, the first time around, I was like, same as you. Was like, the, where's the, where's the tension? Where's the drama gone? You know, there's there's mm. very little on season three of. Dexter's inner voice and him trying to adjust. It's almost like he becomes normal. You know, he settles down with Rita. She mm. she becomes pregnant. They get engaged. They get married. And while it's fun to navigate some of that stuff, they've had all that relationship drama with Lila in season two. So it becomes very dull. I want to say. I mean, the, the last few episodes are quite strong. They they build up again. But I think the trouble with season three is that it doesn't have the energy and pace of either the first two seasons. And right, the Skinner, the Seal Killer, is nowhere near as interesting as the Ice Truck Killer. And I did, I like Jimmy Smith as an actor, but I find Miguel Prado so 
self-grandizing so irritating is probably the word i find to the character irritating Mm. and it's it's almost a relief when things get a bit twisted and go slightly wrong and then dexter realizes he has to kill him because like finally something's going to happen because the first half of that season is so slow and it and it feels like the magic has gone from the show Mm. and then it picks up towards the end as they start killing together and then miguel goes on his own and he kills that lawyer because he doesn't not because she's bad but because he doesn't like her and you know you could see you can see it coming Mm. but it's you know it's great when it happens because you know you know that actually it's going to put him in the firing line with dexter and, it, and it's great those final those final three or four episodes are quite good once they turn on each other and dexter has to hunt him down and even the skinner stuff gets a bit more interesting towards the end as well and uh yeah but it's 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 a slow season and i think arguably in some sense it it, it might feel better compared to later seasons but having watched later seasons i still feel that I think season three is definitely the low point in that first half of Dexter when it was run by Clyde Phillips, who ran the first four seasons, who was doing the revival as well. This was a low point for me. But, uh, you know, there's, there's still some good stuff in there. It's still twisted, but it doesn't feel anywhere near as engaging. Fortunately, we get season four then, which is the infamous Trinity Killer. And I think... This season was a breath of fresh air after season three, and it's almost at the level for me as season two in terms of just that cat and mouse game between John Lithgow's Trinity Killer, Arthur Mitchell, and Dexter is is just so engaging to watch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, the weird thing with season four is that um, I don't remember watching it at the time and thinking this is definitely the best season or anything. I remember thinking it's definitely better than the third one, so I was kind of happy. Mm. And it kind of built and got better as it went along. I did, I did think, to be honest, that people were they were um, saying it was better than I was finding it at the time. I, re- I do remember thinking that at the, at the time. But uh, it's one of those ones. I think it just grows on you, doesn't it? And then, and then by the end, you think actually that was really good. And you, but you had to have seen the whole thing, I think. Um, uh, but it's, it's mainly down to John Lithgow, who's uh, such, such a good actor. Uh, yeah, and and his character and I think um, that's it. Yeah, John Lithgow is amazing throughout. He's so utterly disturbing because at that point you remember him from Third Rock from the Sun. You remember he's kind of very likable. Any character he plays is fun, likable, engaging, and he comes and it's just the way he's able to switch from being this kind of this facade of this kind of happy family religious man to he'll just turn and the looks he give he he'll just this sharp turn and he's frightening. And he's generally mm. frightening in this show. I mean, the and, fact that you see him at the very beginning, just in the bathtub, killing that woman at the beginning, it's like, mm. this, this, it's not John. Who is this? This is not John. It's, <laughs> it's one of his greatest performances. So disturbing. And I think that's what, I think the two things that really work for me in this season, and it quite possibly because I watched it straight after season three. And I think there's a difference between when you binge watch a show, you you go you one season to the next. And when you have that six to eight month gap or years gap whatever it would have been between seasons is that it's got all that magic back it's got dexter doing those kind of internal monologues again trying to adapt to life you know trying to adapt as a father now and there's a wonderful sequence and i want to talk about the title sequence actually I, I adore the title sequence but they replay the title sequence but all going horribly wrong because he's so tired because he's he's, he's exhausted from being a new dad it's, it's great and uh, mm. yeah all that stuff with dexter adapting is really great you've got frank lundy back who was uh, was great anyway as a character and the kind of the tragic end to his relationship with deb 
and and then yeah, this, the build up as as Dexter becomes more entwined in Arthur Mitchell's life, and you know the stuff with Arthur Mitchell's family, who at first seems to be this very happy, well-established family, and you realise they are just living in absolute terror day by day. It's mm. it's great to watch, and uh, and of course it's that final scene, isn't it? That, you know when you get the final cat and mouse between him and between the two of them, and he finally takes out the Trinity killer only to come home and find his own son sat in blood and mm. breathing in the bathtub. It's like, what an ending. Mm. It, it definitely just had a, a really good idea to the season as well. The premise of the season uh, being basically that, yeah. that uh, the Trinity killer is like a better version of Dexter. He's somebody who's mm. found the balance in his life and his, in his killing. And it was Dexter was almost envious of him. And obviously yeah, we, we it's revealed that um, he doesn't have it as, as good as he, as it seems. No. Uh, so that's kind of like, but the whole kind of um, idea behind the season worked. Um, but it was kind of one of those ones that wasn't it where by the end it all came together. So I think once it was over, especially with the shock ending, that's when I really kind of, it kind of comes into focus a bit more. And then you're like, wow, yeah, that was a really good season. I love to, uh, go back and watch that again maybe because you know you didn't at the time of watching it it was just um you know drip fed to you wasn't it Every, all the information was coming yeah. to you very slowly and it, it kind of all crystallized at the end there um but yeah i mean john lithgow though and you were saying there there was a bit of a change for him to be a, a, a like a, a villain but he had he had played some villains in the 80s and have you seen have you seen um raising cane uh, the film no the, i have brian de palma no. film he's a he's a He's a killer in that film as well. So it's almost like him going back to some earlier roles. Right, so he yeah. kind of did have that in him, but it was, yeah, but like I say, a lot of people at that time had just remembered him from Third Rock from the Sun yes. and, and things like that, and more of his kind of family-friendly stuff. Um, but yeah, but it was there uh, for long-term fans of John Lithgow, it was him going back to his roots of some of his earlier roles mm. when he was a bit darker. So yeah, but overall, season four is like second favourite season. Yeah, for me, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's more of that kind of, end-to-end slow build story like season one but just i think we've added stuff with the trinity killer that makes it even more entertaining and uh and yeah it becomes incredibly tense you know it's even season three those last two, two or three episodes were quite tense but this is just when it builds and builds those last five or six episodes like the arthur mitch almost kills himself and dexter saves him going, no don't save him because rita's going to be killed because you saved him it's like you know so many twists and turns happening you know when you've got courtney ford as the reporter christine hill there's a whole relationship with quinn and it, it feels like a completely unnecessary subplot and then it comes in focus that she's the daughter of arthur mitchell and suddenly everything mm. turns on its head you know and the fact that she's the one that kills lundy and it's a red heron for this other seal killer that they're trying to catch early on you know you know it really feels mm. like everything is kind of put into focus and even random things like quinn dates a reporter and they're trying to catch this tourist killer actually they're used to really good effect when you focus in on the trinity killer storyline so yeah it's um it's really well executed you know you still want to look word to an angel falling in love getting married and battling the odds but you know <laughs> it's fine you can manage that you need something to cut to don't you and get back to dexter <laughs> yeah absolutely yes definitely so let's move on then season five then so this was very much a transitional phase for the show so original show one of clyde phillips left the show and is replaced by for one season by chip johansson so after the event of season four, Rita's gone and Dexter deals with a murder and becomes involved with Lumen, played by Julia Stiles, as she attempts to track down the men who tortured and almost killed her. So season five then is, I think, is a point where the magic starts to go a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, apparently Clyde Phillips, the, the old showrunner, he apparently he was involved in the very first few episodes, I think. Um, right. And it's very noticeable as well, because I actually quite like the first two episodes. So it's literally, you know, the ones that he was involved with are okay, and then it just starts to go yeah. <laughs> down down a cliff at, after that point. Chip Johansson as well was somebody who took over Millennium in the third season, and, and that show also went downhill. So uh, <laughs> I, as soon as I saw his name, I remember thinking, oh my God. And then uh, he has done some good stuff, but I don't know, he, he <laughs> seems to get brought in when somebody leaves to kind of steer the ship and, and, but obviously he didn't have a good time of it and, and he left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've only watched a recap video of this one. So, I, I you know, what I've got to say is uh, it's, it's all very, uh, you know, surface level really. But uh, the recap yeah. made it sound, seem better than I remembered, you know, because when you put all the good highlights together, you think, oh, maybe the season wasn't so bad. It's got some interesting ideas here, but um, it's not one, not a good season, I don't think. No, it's because of good bits. When you've got Johnny Lee Miller as Jordan Chase and Peter Weller as Stan Lindy, then they're great. You know, they help lift those kind of final final episodes, I think, certainly. Um, I think the, the idea of them tracking these killer who they brutally murder women and dump them in in containers, you know, it's a bit of a mystery to it, but it's it's very very tenuous link to kind of hang the season on really, and it's and it's one of those cases where a lot of them, like they even like Trinity Killer, you know, a lot of them you wait for the Miami Metro to catch up, and like they don't start hunting the Trinity Killer until about two thirds through season four, but this one is is more the exaggerated version of that when they're so far, you know, they are actually involved, but they're so far removed from what's really happening. You've got Dexter going off team not with Lumen to hunt down the men that, that killed her. And, and that's an interesting sense that he's he's looking for someone who's a victim and helping her and using her to work through his grief. But then it becomes she becomes the obvious mm-hmm. love interest. So it's basically <clears throat> she's Lila, but then she's Miguel because yeah. she's helping kill people. And like yeah. season five, we've done this <laughs> twice already. <clears throat> yeah, and this is definitely where you start seeing the repetition of Dexter come in. Mm. Like, like we've mentioned a few times, there's lots of characters that have to basically versions of characters we've seen before and it just gets a yeah. bit repetitive i like i like the idea that this season is like a, a group of baddies you know normally it's always stuck to like one villain one killer to, yeah to, to, for dex to go after so I, I did like the idea there was like a a weird group almost like a cult wasn't it mm. and uh but, so that every season's got like a little nugget of an idea you think okay this is different it's got something here but it just never really goes anywhere particularly interesting and that's the that's the problem no. it just all comes down to the writing i think yeah, and you've got LaGuardia and Batista, all their drama, the romantic drama going on with job and career and romance, which is, ugh, and then they go, they work yeah. through it, and then they get divorced anyway. It's like, well, what was the point of all that? And uh, <laughs> and, and and Quinn, he's basically the dokes war. This is the season when he starts going after Dexter. He, they, they, they start mm. setting up things in season four, but this is the season when he really goes, on something's odd with Dexter here, and it's like, suddenly we're on dokes again. And it's like, yeah. Quinn is not, you know, I know... Desmond, Desmond Harrington is is solid enough, but I always find him one of the least engaging of the of the core characters on the show. But yeah. I don't mind Quinn too much as a character; he's a little bit forgettable. But so having him play the Dokes character, though, okay. when Eric King was so engaging as Dokes, it's like oh. well, he was scary. He was scary, wasn't he? He was. You know, Quinn, Quinn is not scary. Yeah, yeah. You're scared for Dexter with the idea of Dokes. Yes. After him, but uh, you're not scared of Quinn, are you? You know, no. Quinn going after Dexter, you're like, well, Dexter will just inject him in the neck and be done with him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, he's not a threat, really. When Dokes gets framed and dies, you don't want Dex because Dokes actually is a good detective. He's very, very frightening and aggressive, but actually, he's doing his job well. Whereas if you kill Quinn, like, yeah, fine. 
Quinn's a bit, Quinn can be a bit irritating. <laughs> Just get rid of him. Okay, sixth season yeah, then. Yeah. So this is another behind-the-scenes shift with Scott Buck, current showrunner for the final three seasons. And this season involves a hunt for a doomsday killer while Deb confronts a fiends for Dexter as she's promoted to lieutenant. Season six then, I, I, for me, it's the probably the weakest season of the lot. Yeah, this is uh, the worst season, I think. And for me, the main reason, well, one of the big reasons anyway, is that, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember or if, or if this was your experience, but everyone guessed the twist within three episodes. Yes. <laughs> and they play, they don't reveal it <laughs> the to big, the end, yeah. To right towards the end. And and so the audience are like eight episodes ahead of the twist or something like that. And it's just like, and once somebody, once somebody had uh, mentioned uh online and it quickly spread that you know i mean i i think i remember thinking oh, i think i've guessed a twist myself and then it was kind of confirmed because he went on twitter and people were talking about that yeah. saying oh i don't think edward james olmos is real if you yes. watch then he doesn't actually ever touch anything and, and it's like the old bruce willis from sixth sense yes. thing <laughs> and uh and then as soon as you as soon as that got confirmed a little bit online then you were like watching for it and then within a few episodes you're thinking yeah definitely definitely he's not really there he's just a, a version of of harry morgan for the new killer yes and then um yeah and then from then that just sunk the whole season but but like i said for season five there is like a nugget of a good idea here because I, I liked the idea that uh it's a very religious mm. kind of serial killer story i, I quite like that I'm obviously i'm a big fan of millennium from yeah. back in the day and that had a lot of serial killers of this ilk <laughs> so um and also it's got one of the scariest visuals i yes. think of this of the series that the the, the the man on the horse mm. is like limbs all kind of tied together and that's really frightening shot i think some of the kills in this are some of the best in the show it almost reminds me of hannibal which i adore hannibal and yeah. visually it's so utterly disturbing but so utterly brilliant to watch at the same time and the moments in this where you think wow the horse is the angel stuff you know the bits where you think this is actually really really disturbing and so visually the kills look amazing and you think well you've got this kind of very twisted religious very stunning looking very disturbing murders you've got Edward James Olmos, who's fresh off Battlestar Galactica, I believe, at this point. He was a great actor, ultimately really wasted. And, yeah, it becomes crushingly disappointing. And you're right, the twist is obvious so early on. I don't remember where exactly where I came in, where it was like two episodes or five or six or even seven, but they don't really play that card until maybe episode 10 or even 11. But at that point, like, yeah, obviously, that's what the twist is. So it becomes, <laughs> it becomes really, really yeah. frustrating. I keep on thinking to myself, if I hadn't guessed a twist, would it be a good season? Is it literally because the twist was obvious that it kind of spoiled things? But uh, but then, I, 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 even even if I hadn't guessed a twist, I just think it's not a very good season. I don't think they did a lot with the story. With the story, the religious angle was interesting. You had the brother Sam character, didn't you? Played by by Moss Def, uh, and things. There's, there's elements of it where I thought, okay, we're sort of tackling religion and Dexter, and there's there's something to be said, you know, with with that character maybe, but. Just nothing really came together, but I think another major problem for me was that Colin Hanks as uh, Travis Marshall is just not a good actor to play a, yeah. a villain. <laughs> he's just he's just the least threatening <laughs> actor ever. It is, it's just there's no sense of threat from him whatsoever, and so you know going from John Lithgow to him, no, it's just such a massive drop, isn't it, in quality. Uh, he's a good actor, but it's not a serial killer. No. No. <laughs> Maybe Edward James almost should have been the killer from all work. Oh, that would probably be better because he's really good and he and he can be frightening as well. Mm. You know, he, you know, even something Battlestar when he gets angry, he gets angry, and you know he could have been great. But uh, it is frustrating. I think the other thing, the real now in the coffin of season six is 
Deb falls in love with Dexter. I was like, oh, I know it's part of a pattern oh, yeah. of bad romances, but they're falling in love with her. I know they're not related by blood, but falling in love with her brother is like, really, really? Luckily, yeah. I think the end of season six probably has one of the best cliffhangers of any of the seasons, though, with Deb actually seeing yeah. Dexter killing the Doomsday Killer. And more an ending that, and that for me is what makes them the result in season seven probably one of the best of it. I think it's probably my fourth favorite season of the show. I think of that back half of Dexter, season seven is actually quite strong for me. Yeah, yeah, season seven. I think I mentioned at the very start, but mainly because of Deborah mm. and that she now knows who who that Dexter's a killer it, straight away. That's like one of the key things you wanted to see, isn't yes. it? From from the show. So in the, in the way that season two had kind of rushed what I considered to be a finale season, <laughs> yeah, did it early. The, the only remaining thing for me that was like almost in the back of your brain thinking, well, I at least want to keep watching Dexter because of this hasn't happened yet. Mm. It was always Deborah finding out that, that Dexter's a killer, and so having the season where that happened. Even if the season itself around that wasn't particularly brilliant, but just that anchor of of seeing how she'd deal with Dexter and would she turn him in or would she join him in killing or how would she react exactly and how would she even think about her dad who she's all, all yes. of a sudden now aware that, you know, has created this killer essentially. And, and it's like that, ch- that changes things for her relationship with her dead father. And, and so there's lots there. And I think even if the season itself is you know, not great in the sense of everything else happening, whether the Ukrainian mob bosses, wasn't it? And all, all this kind of stuff. And Hannah McKay, the poisoner uh, and all this. Uh, it's, it's, it, was in, it was entertaining enough. And I just I just enjoyed the, the Deborah kind of stuff with Dexter. Yeah. Those first handful of episodes when she basically, she understandably completely freaks and then goes, no, you're not a killer. I'm not going to allow this. And she basically... She puts him for the program, basically goes, right, you're going to detox. I'm going to control everything about you. And it's, and then, but then she realizes you can't quite do that. And then she's trying to understand what he's going through and stuff. You know, there's some really, really great stuff there. And there's that really frightening killer who locks women in a cage and chases them around like a minotaur. It's, it's like a really disturbing killer. And then he slips through the net. And then <laughs> she actually is quite pleased when Dexter goes and kills him. You know, and, and but then things t- turn around mm. again and it's like, it becomes so twisted. So that first half of that season is really, really strong because you've got this real real tension and drama. It's playing out what we've been waiting to see for the last six years. I think the, the season as a whole is generally okay. I think the other thing that really works for it is LaGuardia investigating the Bay Harbor Butcher, discovering that blood slide and realizing, yes, I can finally prove that Dokes wasn't the killer. And it's great because you've suddenly mm. got this one intention going through as well as Deb trying to understand Dexter. She then has to be complicit in saving him. And it's a, it's a really good final season yeah. for LaGuardia, actually, who really gets, she gets, under, gets under her skin and she's really compelled to discover who what's going on. And Deb is there supposedly as her ally helping to investigate this case while at the same time trying to stop her. So I think that was really, really good as well. And of course, the ending when Deb is forced to kill LaGuerta as she actually finds the truth is a, is a really brutal, shocking end. It's probably the, it's the end mm. really of Deb's art because she doesn't recover from that actually in season eight. But it's a, that's a real great piece of tension as well. It, again, you could say season seven is season two. You've got... Dexter's accomplice slash person who knows about him, what, fourth, fifth time now? And then you've got the investigation to be hard <laughs> yeah. butcher again. But it's maybe there's enough time has passed because it's, what, four seasons afterwards 
five seasons afterwards that actually mm. it feels a bit fresh again. So I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, I think you mentioned Ray Stevenson. I, I think he's great as Isaac. Cause, you know, this Koshko brotherhood could have been really dull. And, you know, some bits are dull. And like Quinn falls in love with a stripper called Nadia and is trying to save her and becomes complicit. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, there's nothing particularly exciting about there. But Isaac realizing that Dexter took out his, I think it was his lover actually, and um, is basically out to get him. Mm. And, and Ray Stevens is great because he's very cold and ruthless. He's basically a Bond villain in a way. And, and I really enjoy that, that subplot with Isaac and Dexter as well. Mm, yeah. Definitely of the later seasons, this is my favourite. Yeah. And and actually Yvonne Johovsky as Hannah McKay as well. I quite like that stuff as well. I mean, I thought she was the most believable of the, possibly Lila aside, because Lila is just so twisted. I actually <laughs> kind of got the relationship between Dexter and Hannah and... I can see how they kind of caught each other's web and yeah, that, that, that great moment when he realizes he has to kill her. So he straps her down with a tape. He's going to stab her and then they're having sex instead on, on the kill table. It's like really twisted, almost Lila Dexter yeah, twisted, yeah. but it's great. And it, <laughs> and it goes in a new direction. And I think it's interesting that Hannah becomes a character going through into season eight as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Yvonne Strahovski is quite underrated. Mm. She was really good in Chuck. Yeah, she was brilliant in Chuck. Yeah, around this time as well. And she, this is, her, I think, it's her, yeah, she's her, like a transfer to yeah. drama. She's in uh, The Handmaid's Tale now, isn't she as well? Yeah. Um. So she's a good actress. Yeah. So season eight, though, that's the last one. <laughs> season eight. Oh, again, some good ideas. I love the idea of Doctor Vogel, who's a psychiatrist who helped create Harry's Code and was there that studied Dex as a child. It's a, it's a really great full circle coming to the end of the end of Dexter's run and you know going to the person who actually helped create who he is now so that that's really really an interesting idea and having some of the caliber of Charlotte Ramplin playing Vogel is really really good as well you know the execution is less good I think this season is a bit of a mess isn't it it's trying to throw this this apprentice Zach and this killer Saxon and Vogel and the brain surgeon killer and Lots of ideas, you know, it starts having... And the fact that he has, yet again, Dexter as an accomplice, oh no, it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> and someone knows the truth about Dexter and he has to cover it up. But actually, the, the person who knows the truth about him actually is a killer anyway. It's like, it it does feel like we are going through the motions by this point in the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I barely remember season eight. I kind of uh, just <laughs> tried to forget <laughs> it, you know. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I know what you're saying there about uh, Dr. Vogel was an interesting addition, but it did also slightly stink of trying to rewrite history just to kind of yeah you know yeah you know it's 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 like oh okay there's this, another lady who also developed the code with harry and she's kind of like almost dexter's mother figure isn't she yes uh and it's just it seemed a little bit kind of like out of nowhere and it's it's the kind of thing that you do in a show where you've run out of ideas you start kind of yes. digging into the past and, and coming up with new things that they was had never been revealed before to the audience and it's now we're expected to swallow that and it's like, um, yeah, there's, there's the odd good idea here and there, but um, it all ends a bit in a silly way, doesn't it? The, the last uh, does, yeah. episode, especially um, with the the thunder, the the, um, the 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 hurricane. Sorry, the hurricane. Uh, yes. And um, I mean, Deborah dies at the end, which is quite a huge moment. But uh, yeah. I remember thinking it was just kind of weird. It was just kind of like a I don't know, just a disappointing kind of ending. And yeah, it really is because I think the, probably the most compelling part of the season is Deb completely utterly spiraling she is when she's forced to kill LaGuardia to save Dexter 
it breaks her completely. And it's a real it's a real tragedy because even in season seven, she's such a strong, courageous character, you know. She's trying to fix Dexter, she she cares about him, you know, she's trying to right the wrong. She's now she's been lieutenant for a couple of seasons, you know, she's she's in a position of power and she's actually really good at her job and Dexter destroys all of that. And it completely breaks her. So Again, Jennifer Carmen does really good work in season seven. And actually, I think she does good work in season eight because we see a side of Deb that is we've never seen before. Someone who has now been broken completely by her experiences. But it's really horrible to watch because Deb's such a likeable character. I think mm-hmm. the ending is so frustrating that they then, then he takes her body out into the sea and throws her a ball kind of unceremoniously. He doesn't even give her a burial. She just throws her out to sea. It's like... It's it's weird and it feels like a complete disservice to the character and trying to sort of mirror the fact that he throws body parts normally, doesn't he, over yeah. the side and it's kind of oh now it's his own sister and it's kind of trying to link back to things in a bit of a cack handed way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. It is. It's completely cack handed. And then and they and it even feels like just to rob salt in the wound, you think, well at least he's gonna escape with Han Hannah and Harrison and go to Argentina. No. He abandons his own son and supposedly now love of his life, and goes becomes a lumberjack. And it's like, where did that come from? And I'm all for the, and they think he's dead, <laughs> and that's fine. I'm, I think that's a probably, you either had, with Dexter, you either had to die, he had to be caught, or they had to believe he was dead, and he was gone. You know, there's probably the only three ways. So they did, they played probably the Leo's least interesting. It would be much more interesting if they, if everyone, everyone had found out, and it like, and they were hunting him down, like season two. Hmm. I don't know, maybe that's what the new revival will do, but it just feels like the way it's a path of least resistance. Oh, let's have him fake his death and escape and start a new life elsewhere, yeah. but not even start the life with his own son. It's like, and yeah. with Hannah, he, he abandons them and goes off and lives, lives a hermit elsewhere. It, it, it's, it's, it's easy to see why the finale of Dexter is regarded as one of the worst finales of all time. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing with Dexter as well is that, f- it's one of those shows where you began to sort of imagine where it might end. And quite early on in the, in the show's life, I remember thinking, how will this show end? Mm. What, what will be the last episode? So, And this is now the actual last season. So you were kind of also just had your fingers crossed that it would end as you'd wanted it to, as you'd imagined it mm. to, which is always like a bit of a risky thing, obviously. But but there was always that part of my brain thinking, well, I've wanted it to end this way for years. And I've always imagined that you'd have the season where he's exposed and he's on the run. You have like a manhunt season, essentially. Mm. And then they'd maybe catch him and he'd be on death row. And it'd be people in the public eye who who um, support what he did, maybe. And it'd be like a you know there'd be like a cult of Dexter, and it's like there's like a certain section of society in Miami that like him, and they think of him as like a folk hero and that kind of thing. And as you know, there could all this kind of juicy stuff he could do with like the idea of Dexter being in jail, you know, just for a season with him in in jail, even you know, and you yeah. know, just all this kind of stuff. I was always imagining in my head. Um, and apparently, um, Clyde Phillips, I remember uh, uh, reading an interview. And he even kind of echoed some of the similar thoughts. And he was always thinking that he, he thought the last scene would be Dexter uh, undergoing lethal injection. And he'd look through the kind of window and, and a lot of familiar faces from the past would be there, including John Lithgow as the Trinity killer. And his plan was to get them all back for that kind of last scene and, and Dexter would die through lethal injection. Yeah. And I remember thinking, yes, that's exactly what you want to have happen <laughs> for the last episode. you know. But we never got it. So, but maybe we no. will. With the new series. Maybe we will. Well, that's it. Uh, John Lithgow is apparently going to cameo in the new series, so maybe there's going to be haunted mm. by his ghost of his past. I mean, let's talk. Let's talk briefly about 
the upcoming revival Dex New Blood. So we're, we're, going to, we're going to do a follow-up podcast, aren't we? When the new season is done, we're going to come back and we're going to discuss how the new season works. So we're going to do a follow-up episode to this on scheduled programming. But obviously the season hasn't aired yet. So what are you most looking forward to about Dex New Blood? What, what are you hoping for, hoping to see? It's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because I don't know, is this, is this definitely going to be the last season? Or is it possible that this is going to be maybe seen as successful and it will carry on? Because it could be like a whole new start, you know, and and they could could continue it for a little bit longer. I mean, if it is what it's kind of been sold as, as like a kind of final wrap-up miniseries, I I just hope it ends definitively. Maybe as as I've mentioned, you know, with the lethal injection idea, maybe that's a sign that Clyde Phillips, who's come back for this, is going to do that idea that he's yeah. mentioned in the press before, and, and he will end it with Dexter dying, and that's why John Lithgow is back for that last shot or something. But, uh, but I'd hope it has a finality about it, and and uh, unless they do intend to bring Dexter back for like, like a like a four season run or something, and so I, I don't really know what I want from it really, because I, 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 part of me thinks that Dexter's done all it, all it can do. I mean, I like the idea that's in, in a new location now, and it's going to have a different vibe because it's not in the sunny climes of Miami; it's in the in the cold somewhere, isn't it? I can't remember exactly where it's set, but somewhere yeah, in, the, in the cold <laughs> forest area. I don't know. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing Michael C. Hall back as Dexter. I know, I know I've been watching it now and rewatched, but to see him what he is now, it's always good to see. I'm really glad they find a way to bring Jennifer Carpenter back. I assume she's going to be the new Harry. It would kind of make sense, really. Yeah. And I think the idea of Deb as the new Harry would be great. That's. I think that's confirmed, isn't it? Yeah, she's definitely back. And, and I, th- I think they've confirmed she's the new Harry, but I think... It's the most obvious route to be. I think the idea of Deb haunting Dexter, questioning his actions, is brilliant because I think that could bring a real energy and a real connection to to the past. You know, I, I don't know if any other cats will be back. You know, do we want Masuka or Angel back? I, I I don't know. You know, they were fine. You know, do we want Quinn back? Do we know what? No, it's like no. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I'd like to see James Remar come back just for like a handover almost to. To uh, or, or yeah, I don't know. It'd be nice to see him in, in some capacity as Harry, just once maybe. maybe you know, I don't, or even with Deborah, maybe they'll both be there. That haunted, haunted by both that would be that'd be great. Yeah, they can bounce each other. But then uh, yeah, yeah. Deb, didn't we know Harry? So that'd be interesting <laughs> too. I, I think there's a good cast. It's, you know, Clancy Brown's in it. Jamie Chung is a few really good actors involved in, in it as well. So I'm looking forward to that. But you're right. I think it's it depends on where it goes. Is it the definitive ending? Is it going to be? Is that, I think it's going to be one of two, one of three things really it's either going to be that like, definitive ending and it's like it can't really go beyond this and it's great it's wrapped up it's going to be a, a sort of ending where it could be the end of, like he's in prison but you could have more or it's going to be mm. a kind of open ending because they want more but it's it kind of well if that was the ending that's more satisfying than the first one so i'm okay with that but if there's more than great kind of thing so I, I i don't know it's um i guess it's wait wait and see really the fact that we don't really know too much about it is, mm. is a good thing so but they are talking about it being the, the ending that Dex deserves. So I I reckon it's going to be the middle one. I reckon it's going to be something like, not necessarily the lethal injection, but maybe Dex to behind bars at the end. He's been caught. And then yeah. you can do more. But at the same time, it's a more of a final end to his story. He can't go be, he can't go out and kill again because he's in prison. You know, he'll kill prisoners, sure he will, but he can't yeah. go out. He can't go out into the world again. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is as well is that Showtime as a network don't have a lot of hits. And I think it was uh, perceived that they brought back Dexter because they knew it was something that people would be interested in. 
So for them as a network, I think they probably would quite like Dexter to come back as a as a regular thing, even if maybe it's just every few years, you know, another mini series or something. I'd, so I, I still think maybe they're not going to kill Dexter off yeah. or have anything too definitive happen because they want Dexter to continue in some capacity. And also, to be honest, Michael C. Hall, I mean, his career hasn't done a lot as it since since Dexter no. ended. So maybe he's also coming back to this. I know he said coming back to it because he's got something new to say with the character, but it's the kind of thing you say, isn't it, really? But, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. deep down you're thinking, oh, I, need, I need some money. Yeah. And uh, so maybe he'd be open to coming back or just having this, just having it as something where Dexter is still always around and every three years you can do another miniseries and uh, yeah. maybe maybe that's what will happen. Maybe. We'll see. It's uh... I, I, I'm excited to see where it was going, what it's going to do and it can't be any worse than season eight. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> cool. So that comes to the end of our episode. If you want to talk more Dexter or TV in general review, where can we find you online? Well, I'm on Twitter. If you go to DanOwen79, I'm on Twitter there. So I'll link to all the stuff that I do. But as you mentioned at the start, um, framerated.co.uk is a website that I run and write for. So you can always read some of my stuff there. I probably will be reviewing Dexter, I'm thinking. Maybe not on Framerated, but somewhere I'll be reviewing that, I think, weekly. Fab. And yeah, we'll be back to discuss it on scheduled programming early in the new year as well. Yeah, we sure will. And see if the revival's worth it. Um, you can find me at Baz Green on Twitter on various We Made This podcasts, including Authorised Podcasts Only, a new alias podcast for the network, and also a Sergeant the Next Generation podcast beyond Farpoint over at Hall Street Media too. So thanks for joining us for another episode. And remember, we are part of the We Made This podcast network. Please subscribe to schedule programming and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to help our network, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this. Dexter is not all we're discussing, so we'll give you a taste of what else you might have missed on the network in a moment. We'll be back soon to schedule more programming. So until then, do not adjust your set. Elsewhere. And we made this. We dig music. I feel that this is the first song that properly ripped into R. Kelly as well. Which is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Right, so R. Kelly Bang has on time. only just been convicted. Yeah. The first time I ever heard of R. Kelly was reading Smash Hits. So this is before I'd even started reading Kerrang. So I started getting Kerrang in 95, so this must have been 95. Yep, and it was when um, he married Aaliyah, who was Aaliyah, like what fourteen. Yeah, Aaliyah. basically Aaliyah had just released her album "Age Ain't Nothing But a Number." The Movie Palace Podcast. The book I want to tell you about is "The Art of American Screen Acting, 1912 to 1960" by Dan Callahan. What I tried to do in my movie programs is introduce people to films they haven't seen. And some of these people are younger viewers who haven't watched a lot of classic cinema, especially anything predating Star Wars. They'll often make comments like, I really like the movie, but the acting back then was pretty awful. The art of American screen acting meets such comments head on. Observing the pattern. Fringe box. So there is a real element of redemption. You know, we talk about uh, William Bell getting redemption in this episode or redeeming himself for his actions with his sacrifice. But the, the, the whole arc of Fringe is in many ways Walter redeeming himself as well and realising what he's done wrong, for one thing, and realising where he's gone wrong 
and coming to terms with that. So yeah, this is a very key point, I think, in that whole macro story of Fringe, as well as Walter's character. Yeah, definitely. And there's also an element that we discussed in, in a previous episode uh, about the weaponization of children. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. <laughs>